0: I'm Sharon Betters, and I'm the host of this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Our vision at Mark Inc. is to offer help and hope, especially to those who are hurting. And one of the ways we do that is with conversations like the one you're about to hear, where we talk about life crises that are painful, that are often difficult to discuss, and very hard for those who love the person in crisis to come alongside, not knowing exactly what to do to help. Today, we're going to be hitting a really, I think, a really hidden, painful life crisis that um, needs to have a spotlight uh, shining on it. It's probably no surprise that you know that pornography is one of the fastest growing businesses around the world. $97 billion in profits around the world, $10 billion in profits in the United States alone. But what might surprise you is that women between the ages of 18 and 30 admit to visiting pornography sites at least once a month. And then there's a percentage of them who admit to being addicted to pornography. These stats are from 2018. So, no doubt those stats are growing. And pornography with women is something that we aren't really paying a lot of attention to. But my guest today is Jessica Harris and Jessica has written a book called Beggar's Daughter, where she shares her story of becoming addicted to pornography, what a struggle it was for her, how it impacted her life, and then how she found freedom. And so I know that even if you think, well, I'm not addicted to pornography, It has nothing to do with me, yes, yes it does. And you're going to see that in the conversation that we have. So Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, thank you for having me. Jessica, before we jump into the topic of pornography, tell us a little bit about what gives you joy in your life right now.
1: Oh, <laughs> that would probably be my my husband and my little girl for sure. I love to take care of them and to to dote on them. And I got married when I was 32. So I spent many years doing a lot of fun things and traveling and speaking and living the single life and definitely, they bring me so much joy in taking care of them and and loving them, my little
0: family. It's definitely a special season of life. And um, it's wonderful to hear you speak about this season with such joy. You wrote a book called Beggar's Daughter. And in it, you were very transparent about your addiction to pornography, how it started, how it impacted your life. Why are you so transparent about something that really is a hidden pain? most women would not be willing to admit to such an addiction? Yeah, well, it's definitely not. um,
1: (laughs) It was not an easy road. Um, When I found freedom, I kind of said, okay, I'm never telling anybody about this. Like, yay, I'm free. And I'm going to move on with my life. And I really was struggling to figure out what God wanted me to do next. And just thought, okay, let me just rewind. And what do I enjoy doing? What am I good at? And I enjoy writing, and then it's like, well, lots of people are writers. Like, I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to be an editor. I don't, you know, I'm not interested in that stuff. What can I, what can I give? Like, what, what can I do in writing? And it was almost this feeling of, well, you're going to share your story, and I, oh no, I am not. <laughs> like, that is not going to happen. Um, so I wrestled with that probably for two years, back and forth. It's like, no, I don't this is the last thing that I want people to know about me. I'm not going to make it the first thing they know about me. Like this is not happening. This is someone else can do it. And I thought for sure there would be someone else out there. So I started struggling in 1999 and started looking for help in 2003. So in 2009, I was thinking, no, surely, surely somebody, if this is a problem, somebody else has already said something by now. And I went looking for resources for women, and there weren't any. And I got angry. I got so angry because there are statistics. There's a study dating back to 2003 noting that Christian women struggle with this. And I thought it has been six years. Why haven't? Why hasn't anybody said anything? Um, so I started. I launched my website. I was angry with God because I was like, I do not want to do this, but you left me no choice. And <laughs> and I was. I was so frustrated with churches and with just that we hadn't talked about this. And so I started a as a static website where I shared my story and kind of blasted churches. Not the best way to start, I'll be honest. <laughs> but I did it anonymously and I thought there like I've done my obedience, like I'm going to move on with my life now. And I started getting emails through the website from women. I started getting messages from friends because I had shared it with some friends and they're like, "Oh my goodness, me too." And I you know, I have where, where have all these women been? I thought I was the only one. Even after I found freedom, I still felt like I was one of the only ones. And then about a year after starting my website, I was speaking at an event in Canada. And obviously I had gone public at that point because people were asking me to speak. I'm like, you can't be anonymous and be a speaker. So, <laughs> so I had to be known at that point. And I was at an event in Canada and leading a women's workshop, a, a breakout session. And I said, we're going to talk about lust. And the breakout session packed out, women were standing along the back, they were sitting on the floor, there were no chairs left. (laughs) And I remember stepping out of that room thinking they didn't come for me, no one knows who I am. They came for the message, they came because no one's talking about this, and they want someone to be talking about it. And I felt like in that moment, I had a choice to make. And it was almost like, God said, you can have the life that you wanted. I'll let you. Like you can go do the normal life where no one knows this about you thing, or you can help, or you can do something about these women because you know what it's like to be there, and how can you walk away? And I just had this feeling of I can't just walk away. I can't
0: acknowledge that
1: they're there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been there, and it's hard, but I'm gonna pretend like you don't exist. Like I'm just gonna pretend like you don't someone else can save you. And it was very much like an Esther moment for me of just feeling like you can have your life. You can save your own skin. I will save them some other way, or you can be part of this. And so I chose
0: to be part of what God's doing. Well, what's pretty amazing is now you are one of the leading voices making that clarion call that we have a problem. Pornography is not just a silent activity that has no impact on other people. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of people would say, well, it's just for you. It's, it's, it's just pleasure for you, but your story tells us something quite different. And I appreciate your courage and I appreciate you, your willingness to die to self in order to help others. When you were a child and in church, there was a message that seemed to be coming through to you about who you were and your self-image. How do you think that was a kind of a pathway to finding meaning in pornography for you? What was that message that was so hard for you to live up to? Um, I think it, there's, a, there's a lot, <laughs> but it, there was very much
1: this, almost this culture of perfection, this expectation of perfection that your relationship with people was based, and your relationship with God as well, was based purely on what you could do for them and meeting the standards that they had for you. So God was this Cosmic rule person, you know, and you had to follow all of the rules or else he didn't love you as much. You had to almost earn your worth in when it came to God, when it came to family, and so I think that meshes perfectly with one of the messages of pornography, which is is very humans are very disposable, people are very disposable, and if you're not good enough, I'll just move on to the next one. Like you don't matter, <laughs> uh, you have no worth, you have no value. Your value is based on what you can give me. And so I think I battled that growing up I battled it in my family. I battled it in my church. And so when it presented in pornography, it didn't seem abnormal. It didn't seem different. It, oh, I've seen this before. Like this is consistent with everything else in my life. So it fit. And I think, and I've told parents this before, Like if I had heard a different message, if I had heard that my worth and my value wasn't based on what I could do or my performance. If I had had that truth, I wonder if my struggle would have looked different because I would have been able to say, well, no, that's not That's not how I want to feel. That's not what I want to do with my life. But because it was so consistent in all areas of my life and pornography just kind of stepped right in and fit with everything else.
0: When I hear you talking about this kind of your self-image of how you viewed yourself and in our culture right now, it, it's hard. For women, I I can't speak for men, but I can speak for women too. We are bombarded with messages that if we aren't pretty enough, if we aren't young enough, if we aren't using the right hair product, if, you know, all those things are telling us you're not worth it, you're not good enough, you have to keep striving. What a hard message for us to be hearing. And so I think you were about 13 when you first stumbled on pornography. So I want to ask, tell us about that. But then I also want you to share a little bit about how can we as women, older women, help younger women, our daughters, granddaughters, to prepare them for the pull of pornography in this culture that says you aren't enough. So my to answer the first part, my, my exposure happened completely by accident. I was uh, researching
1: for school and I came across a It wasn't YouTube because YouTube wasn't there back then. But it was something similar, like a, a website that was just full of video clips. And they were educational video clips. So it wasn't like I had gone on to a porn website. Like I was on a neutral website that actually had educational clips for students on it. And one of the clips in that screen looked different, it was kind of obscured, it was darker, you couldn't really tell what it was. And I'm just clicking through brainlessly. And it was a porn video. It was hardcore pornography. So um it I clicked on it, it started playing. When I tried to exit out of it, it ended up, you know, pop up barrage and just sucked me into uh it's that it doesn't exist anymore, but it, it was an underground. So what that was at the time was the most extreme and kind of like not allowed pornography at the time so i had gone from a completely neutral educational website to essentially illegal pornography when not on purpose (laughs) um and obviously i didn't know that at the time i had no idea any of that i just remember looking at it thinking oh so this is what people are talking about and aren't telling us about you know (laughs) because in church we didn't talk about that and my family we didn't talk about that and so when i saw these videos I was like oh this is that secret that secret world that nobody wants me to know about you know and so then it almost felt like oh like I know things other people don't know <laughs> so there was this level of curiosity and there was this level of like almost feeling like this is forbidden and so it's fun in a way and it, it, it the way the website was it just continually refresh new content on its own every few seconds and so it easily just sucks you in for For hours at a time. And that's kind of where my journey with this started. There was a chat room there. And so I found, I found this trend or this thing called cybering, which is where you do you act out sexual things in a chat room. So it's like the 90s equivalent of sexting, because we didn't have cell phones. So I would go into chat rooms and role play with strangers online as well as part of that too. So that's kind of where my journey started. And I I think to protect today's young women from the, the pull of pornography, the, the best way we can do that is to really build up their worth and their identity outside of it. Like I said, if, if I had heard the message that I was worth more than just what I can give somebody, if I had heard the message that I was worth more than just my body, if I had heard the messages that have brought so much healing in the years since, if I had heard those before... I wonder what they could have done to protect me almost from the pole. Yes. I might've been exposed to it. i might've seen it and you have girls who, you know, have friends who are watching it and flash the phone in front of them. But there's a difference between being exposed to something and then being almost like drawn into it. And if I had heard those messages before that my worth isn't in my body, that my body is, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's, it's beautiful. You know, I'm, if you're listening audio, you can't see this, but I have like curly hair and freckles and like my hair goes frizzy and crazy. Like all of these things that I thought were so wrong, you know, they're not normal. They're not typical. I don't tan. I can't tan. I just burn. <laughs> I can't achieve the societal standard of beauty. I can't. And if I had heard that that's okay. And that these things make you beautiful they make you unique and my husband has been hugely influential, obviously, in helping with this area of healing in my life, especially. He loves my hair. He loves my freckles. Like he loves all of it. But if we heard that message of almost acceptance, for lack of a better word, and just building up who God created us to be, like body, mind, and soul, like all of us, if we gave that message to our young women, I wonder how much it would protect them from the damages of pornography and sexting, which is huge among today's teenage girls. Like they're believing that their worth and their value comes from selling themselves and giving their bodies away. And what if we were teaching them from when they were little that that's that's not it and that you can respect yourself and you can have those boundaries and you can say no, and you can have a worth and a value outside of that. I think that's how we protect them from that pull for sure.
0: I'm glad you brought up sexting because I think for anybody who thinks that pornography is not a woman problem, that certainly to me is a saying yes, it is because where do young girls get this idea that uh sexting is appropriate and okay, and um you know it's it is a rampant issue and it's shocking uh to when you hear what girls are sharing uh, nude pictures and things like that with boyfriends who then break up with them and they pass the pictures around. And it just actually, I think it, it feeds into exactly what you're talking about, that image of yourself that you're just not good enough and you've thrown away something important, somebody's trampling on it. So the, the roots, the tentacles of pornography are so deep and um, really frightening. And so again, I'm so glad that you are speaking out and your story is i know it's helped women already one of the things that i think about too is you know again pornography it's not what's the big deal about it but what what is the big deal how did how did it impact your uh, life your time your relationships as you went from being a 13 year old into high school you were a good student in high school then college working i mean did it have What negative impacts did you really finally begin to see? Right. So um,
1: I struggled primarily while I was in high school. And so I was a 4 student, straight-A student, taught my class and told everyone I was going to be a doctor. So I was all about like achieving that standard of perfection and the ideal, you know, perfect achiever. But near the end of my high school career, I actually noticed that my pornography use had spiraled out of control. So I was to the point where I would look at pornography for hours every day when I got home from school. I lived with my mom and my siblings lived elsewhere. So it was just my mom and I in our home and she worked. And so while she was at work, I was watching pornography. Um, When she would come home and go to bed, I would sneak out into the living room and watch the channels that we didn't get on the TV. So we didn't even get them. Um, But I would sit there on the couch waiting for something to come through the static, just just waiting. And it would never be clear. It would always be like a negative image. But I would sit there for hours just waiting for stuff to come through. At school, I would sit on the library computers or as a teacher's aide on a school computer looking at erotica, which is stories. And no one ever questioned it because I'm a straight A student. You have no reason to question it. My mom didn't question why I was studying so much. You know, I'm a straight A student. Like I'm achieving everything that everyone wants me to do. But near the end of high school, I really started to struggle because I was staying up all night watching pornography on the TV because the computer was in my mom's room. So that was off limits at night, but TV wasn't. So I would watch that until three or four in the morning and then sleep for two hours and then scramble to get the bus. And it was starting to get a little hard to keep my grades. And that's when almost pornography became a threat. Like, oh, no, you're not going to mess up my, you're not going to mess with my plan for life. You're not going to throw off my straight A student doctor dream. You know, you need to get back in control. Because I still felt like it had a place, that it was okay, because I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't going to get pregnant. I wasn't going to get STDs. Like, this was, in my mind, a healthy Outlet for my sexuality. Um, But at that point, I'm going, but I can't control this. Like I'm trying to stop and I can't. I'm trying to limit myself to maybe two hours a day and I can't. I I cannot manage to stop myself. And so I began to self harm as a way to try to get this under control. That did not work. And then I went off to college hoping to get help there, Um, not willing to tell anybody that I was struggling with this, but hoping that I would get caught and that someone would be able to help me. I did get caught and they said, this wasn't you, women don't have this problem and began to reprimand me for giving my password out to male students on campus and that I was protecting them and that they were hurting and that they really needed help and they needed to, I'm thinking, no, it's me. (laughs) I am the one who is hurting and I am the one who needs help. And that was my rock bottom was after being caught and being told, like, women don't have this problem. I stepped back and said, oh, man, then something's really wrong with me. And I gave up that dream of becoming a doctor and and didn't care about my grades anymore and decided at 17 years old that I was going to be a porn star because that was all I felt I was worth at that point. And to me, it wasn't worth it to keep trying to keep up this image. How long can you keep living the double life? And if I couldn't be the Christian girl who struggled with porn, then I was going to be the porn star who used to be a Christian. Like that's how it fit in my mind. I was done playing the game. So I left college, I college dropout (laughs) and I went back home and tried to figure out how to get into the porn industry. Thankfully, it's not easy to just like, you don't just apply like for the grocery store. So um, God protected me in that way. But I think over the years it's just been healing from a lot of the the damage. I think pornography is it is very damaging. And I've been to a counselor and she was very wise and just acknowledging that it's trauma, especially when you're exposed as a teenager. Your mind is still so young and doesn't necessarily understand what you're seeing. And so there's an element of it that's trauma. And obviously the the pornography that I was viewing and that I was exposed to was by its own nature traumatic so having to overcome the damage that that did to me what does it teach you about who you are as a woman what does it teach you about relationships what does it teach you about sex itself and just having to to work through that i've seen it in how i trust people and how i interact with people i struggled for a long time to build friendships just because i always assumed that they wanted something from me And then I struggled on the other end of, well, when they find out this about me, they're never going to want to talk to me again. So having to kind of walk that balance between the two. And then a whole new crop of problems when, uh, when I went to get married and was approaching my wedding and beginning to realize, like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to marry somebody. And then, like, I'm going I'm to be in a, in a bed with somebody, like, for real. And I have no idea. Like, I'm freaking out. And you think, oh, well, this is good for teenagers. You know, it's their sex education. It is not not at all. And I can, I can say as somebody who spent years watching videos and, and seeing this, and as someone who's been married for two years now, that they're not the same. (laughs) Like it's not the same at all. And I think it's, it's horribly damaging to just your identity as a, as a woman and just your sense of value and your sense of relationship and how you relate to other people and how you trust other people. Like it just, it roots out so much. I tell people all the time, it it goes after a woman's heart, and it
0: rips the heart and soul out of women, so it's very damaging. You were in college when you finally said, Okay, I have an addiction to pornography to somebody else. That was the beginning of your pathway to healing. Tell us about that, and you kind of uh, mentioned some of the things that like you went through counseling for addiction and all the different areas of life where you had to unravel all of the lies that pornography had taught you. So I, I'm, I know that that would be one of the things that you would say. That's, that's a given that you need someone to walk with you. You had somebody to walk with you, to start that walk with you. How how do you find someone like that? Because like women are ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're filled with guilt in a way that I don't know that men are. So how do you get up the courage to speak to someone else as you did and then to find someone that you can trust to walk with you, not to get, but to give to you.
1: I think one of the most insightful things that you said was that this the shame is different for women, and it is very different for women. Even though there are several of us who've been speaking out on this for several years now, we still get emails from women going, I thought I was the only one. So we're still fighting against this idea that women don't have this problem. And so one of my big Rallying points, I guess, over the last few years has been churches need to start talking about this because that's what helped me finally. After I left one college, I went to another one the following fall. And there they said, We know some of you women are struggling with this, and we're going to help you. Women are hungry for that. If a woman is struggling, she needs to hear that. She needs to hear that she's seen that that she's not alone, that we are, a, and we being, there's a several of us now who have shared our stories and are trying to generate this kind of awareness of this problem, still kind of fighting this culture of, well, no, we don't talk about that in our church, but you do. You talk about it with regards to men, but you won't talk about it with regards to women. And so we do encourage pastors and Bible study leaders and college ministry leaders to just include women in the conversation. It, it will not hurt you. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't take much at all. It literally just is standing at the pulpit and saying men and women have this problem and stopping the, the narrative that's all male based and then starting to just include telling parents to talk to their sons and their daughters about this. It's not hard. And when we do things like that, we're starting to break down that wall of shame where women will feel safe to come forward and to tell somebody that's what they're that's what they're every woman wants that she wants to be able to tell somebody but the fear is that it's not safe to and so when you step forward and say I am a safe place for this struggle you make it that much easier for her we're missing those safe spaces right now and they might be very safe they're just not advertising themselves as such so for the woman who's struggling though I always encourage them to tell somebody in their life because they love to email myself <laughs> and tell me, and that's fine, but I can't help them. I can't, I can't walk alongside them. I'm not in their life. And that's what's so vital is because pornography is such a pervasive issue and because it kind of digs its tentacles, as you said, like into so many areas of your life. It's not just about stop watching pornography. It's not just about getting accountability. It's not just about filters and password protection. That's not it. It's about healing that has to happen. We're kind of going through and cutting all of those tentacles off and healing up those holes that are left behind. And that involves like so much more. It involves emotional regulation and coping mechanisms and all these other, how do you deal with stress? How do you deal with anger? How do you deal? And I can't help you with that. So I encourage women to really pray about it. And I know it's scary. And I tell them, if you want to, you can throw me under the bus. You can give You can have the person read my website first, read my book first, get a feel for how they react to it. If you're afraid of how they're going to react to you. And then if they seem like a safe space then you can go, then this is also me, (laughs) you know, let them use my story if you, if you want to. And that's, that's totally fine. And, and also an encouragement that you don't have to tell them everything up front and you definitely don't have to find somebody who's been there before. we, We sometimes struggle with that because that's a definite safe space and somebody who's walked the same road, but you're really wanting somebody who's walking in healing and they can be healing from all kinds of things. You're wanting somebody who's where you want to be, not necessarily where you've been. So if you find a a woman who, even if she's your age that you admire and respect, she's a great mom and she's a great wife, then link up with her and have coffee and just say like, Hey, I want to learn from you. And I also want to share that this is part of my story, and this is part of my life. And it's super scary, and it's hard because we don't have a lot of safe places right now. So that's kind of 2 prompt. like hoping that churches and people will start to say, hey, you can talk to me about this, and that women will also
0: start speaking up and saying, hey,
1: I need someone to be able to talk to you about this. Yeah,
0: I really appreciate what you're saying about the woman doesn't have to have experienced the same thing, because as you said, there are so many other issues that are impacted that every one of us experiences. How do we deal with stress? How do we deal with anger, disappointment, those kinds of things? And it may not be pornography that we turn to, but we have to learn the right places to turn to. So I I appreciate that so much. As we start to wrap up our conversation, I want to remind everybody that this is Jessica Harris, and she has written a book called Beggar's Daughter. You can also learn more about Jessica and really the movement that she and some others have started in crying out to the world that we need help. We need help now that it's almost too late, but it isn't too late for those who recognize that pornography is an addiction. You can go to our website, markink.org, and we will have program notes where you can find a link to Jessica's book and also to her website. So I hope that you will do that. Jessica, as we wrap up, would you just think about what would you say to a woman you're having coffee with? She's told you what is, her heart is breaking. She's in counseling, but she's had setbacks. She just doesn't know if she can depend on anyone or anything to help her, especially when she, she goes along, she's doing well, and then she has a setback. Could you just speak to her for a minute as we wrap up our time together?
1: Absolutely. I, I think setbacks are are part of the growing process. Um, you know, when my daughter was learning to walk. She didn't just all of a sudden get up one day and start running around the house. You know, she took a few steps and then she crawled for a little bit and then she took a few more steps and then she started to try to walk a little bit more and kept falling on her butt. You know, it was the cutest little thing. She'd walk along <laughs> and then she started to crawl. So I think we need to give ourselves grace for the growing that has to happen. I think the biggest thing is holding on to hope because it's so hard when you're in that struggle and you're desperately trying to claw yourself free and claw your way out and you keep slipping and falling back in. And it feels like I am never getting out. And if I am getting out, there's nothing for me when I do get out. Both of those are lies. There is absolutely freedom and there's absolutely grace. There's absolutely (laughs) restoration and God doesn't put you in like a different category because you used to struggle with this and he doesn't pull you out and go, okay, well, you know, you made it out, but now you're gonna sit here on the back shelf because I don't want to use you and I, I'm not going to let you have anything nice in life and you're gonna to have to just suffer. That's not God and that's not grace. And so I would just encourage, don't give up and have a freedom focus. What happens is we slip and we fall and we reset the clock and we go, oh well I went 10 days. Well now I'm back to zero. No, you went in 10 days. Keep going. Um, just keep moving forward and keep that that freedom and that forward focus and keep clawing your way out. You know, keep talking to the counselor, keep working through this and, and don't give up. That would be my biggest encouragement. I So many women, oh, I'm never going to be able to get married. No one's ever going to love me. I'm damaged goods. I'm messed up. There's something wrong with me. And all of that's not true. Like, that's not God's message for you. That's not the truth of your identity, of who you are. And just encouraging women to, to keep that focus on him. He knows who you are. He made you the way you are. And like he has a plan and a purpose for you and you keep climbing towards him.
0: And and you might slip and you might fall and you just get back up and keep going. Jessica, thank you so much for the help and hope that you've offered just in these few minutes that we've had together. and. It really is my hope that our conversation is going to be like salty peanuts for listeners that you will want to know more about Jessica. You'll get her book and you'll visit her website. And again, all that information is on our website at markinc.org. Jessica has mentioned counseling as one means of finding your way to freedom from pornography addiction. And Mark Inc. Ministries has started Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling Online. You can learn more about the Counseling Center by going to biblicalcounseling.online. It's biblicalcounseling.online. We have counselors from all over the country who are eager and ready to walk with you, even through pornography and addiction. Again, I'm Sharon Betters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. If this has been a blessing to you, go to markinc.org, where you can find many, many more stories like Jessica's that offer help and hope in the middle of a life crisis. Thank you so much for joining us.